right? I just love the mission of the university. But where I struggled was how do I how do I embrace those things that I love if I can't do them as a faculty member or a bench scientist? Mm. And, and I think that's really where I was at a loss for a pretty long period of time. to life a phd and beyond on today's episode we'll be starting our series on various pathways in science and joining us to kick off our series is dr kelly parsons she graduated from wake forest in 2006 with a phd in microbiology and immunology and she is currently the associate director at the unc chapel hill office of technology commercialization dr kelly parsons welcome thank you so much um i was so excited to get the invitation yeah and we're very uh, appreciative of your time uh, also on today's podcast is angelica i think i messed up on the intro there it's okay yes you did Aaron. <laughs> but <laughs> just as long as you don't go on to be a career as a professional broadcaster we're okay <laughs> no no i think we're safe there um so dr parsons um could you uh i guess introduce our audience to what technology commercialization is sure and um, i guess i say call me kelly oh sure All right. um, there's there's no formality uh in this job so in uh, university technology transfer in short is really the effort to take you know things the fruits of the labor of those doing research and turning that research into real world solutions right? so for for me in particular i'm obviously focused in the life science sector um, so i'm very interested in turning research into real therapy, you know, therapies or cures for patients who maybe otherwise didn't have any avenues for treatment. Mm. So this is um, the literal bench-to-bedside uh, bridgeway. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and all, all the legal issues that surround that and the um, so I think, different I think, aspects. Um, I've heard the comment before, I think it's, it's perfect, is that tech tra- university tech transfer is really the intersection between science, business, and law. Mm. And that's part of what I really love about my job is that I get to do all of those things every day yeah. and that I'm interfacing internally with our academics, um, with external academic collaborators and also with uh, external industry. Mm. So getting, getting able to work at the interface of each of those different entities and their individual drivers and purposes um, is really rewarding. Yeah. So, uh, so you mentioned that intersection. Um, and I, I believe in your background, you had mentioned that a PhD is is very helpful in your field, obviously, um, but also a, a JD, a Juris Doctorate. Do you feel like one is more beneficial than the other in mm-hmm. preparing you for this kind of job? Yeah. So, uh, you know, for most tech transfer officers, um, especially in the life sciences, this is not necessarily the case with engineering or other mm. physical sciences, mm. but in life sciences, PhD is, is generally required. Um, you'll sometimes see other individuals, maybe with a combination of a master's and a JD. Okay. Um, and most IP attorneys, if they're working within a university tech transfer office in that function, are going to be PhD JDs. Um, so, you know, obviously, we have a lot of people who like to collect uh, degrees. Um, so, so, you know, typically we'll have some, not as many, but maybe some MBAs involved uh, in helping to support our startup companies mm. um, and advising in that function. But from a, a typical university tech transfer um, role, generally you're going to see mostly PhDs. So, I guess, is uh, obviously, to understand the law, you have to have that, like, 
well, law school um, background, but did you find that there was anything in particular with your PhD that you were able to really like, you know, class or um, utilize to help prepare you for getting ready for law school or for this career path? So I'm not an attorney. I'm a patent agent. Um, So I I have not gone to law school. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought from the JD um, segue that that was what that meant. <laughs> oh, no, she had just mentioned the, the benefits of a JD. Oh, I see, yeah. I see. Or, or that it was an alternative to a PhD. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be helpful for me just to kind of talk about um, kind of how I got to this career. Yeah, that would That'd be great. And <laughs> and kind of what drove me and, and the different paths. So, you know, I apologize in advance for a long-winded answer, but I guess I still even, I won't say how many years, but several years out from my graduate degree, unfortunately, <laughs> um, I still really relate to being a grad student because I think that's just a mindset and an emotion that sticks with you forever, even after you're past it. So, I, you know, I still really resonate with where you're at in your careers. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, even uh, finishing up with undergrad, you know, all of us who typically go into biology, right, the, there usually has to be something else if you're going to stay within science, right, whether that's a master's, a PhD, medical school, pharmacy school, you name it. And for me, um, maybe somewhat naively at that point in time, I wanted to do something where I could really have a broad impact on individuals. And obviously each role is vital, but for me, Um, physicians were treating a patient at a time and for me I saw science as an opportunity to treat whole communities at a time Mm. and so you know I wanted to do my part in being able to you know really bring something to the table or do something unique that would allow a physician to care for a patient otherwise they had no option so I came to Wake, um, I think, still with that, you know, naive hope of I was going to, you know, cure X, Y, and Z, <laughs> right? right? And and I think that's good, and I just certainly don't want that to go away. Um, but, you know, very quickly in that process, probably um, at least by the beginning of the second year, if not before, I knew that I had absolutely zero desire to be a faculty member, and I knew that I definitely did not want to be a bench scientist. And where I really struggled with that pretty much for the rest of my graduate career, was that I absolutely love science. I mean, I loved it. I loved talking about it. I loved theorizing. I loved, you know, thinking about what could be done and what had been done. And I loved the academic culture, right? I just loved the mission of the university. But where I struggled was how do I, how do I embrace those things that I love if I can't do them as a faculty member or a bench scientist. Mm. And, and I think that's really where I was at a loss for a pretty long period of time. Um, and as I was finishing up my, my graduate studies, you know, I think you almost fall to some of these defaults. And sometimes the defaults are perfect if it's a fit for you, but if it's not, that can be a problem. So for me, that default was law school, right? I thought, okay, I'm going to go to law school. That's mm. what I'll do. And, you know, to be frank, um, into my PhD came and, you know, those around me said, uh, Kelly, um, perhaps you should get a job. You know, perhaps you should not take out any more loans. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and I wasn't completely sold on going to law school because, I, you know, still going to work at a law firm or a company wasn't my dream of staying in academia. Um, so I sought out a postdoc, um, frankly, as 
um, to you know your point earlier, my sixth year of grad school, right? That was my that was my graduate equivalent of backpacking through, through Europe. Was my postdoc, right? It was okay. Right, let's right. just let's go do this. Let's go somewhere else, and let me figure out who I am and what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I arrived at uh, UNC Chapel Hill in 2006 as a postdoc in the Cystic Fibrosis Center. Um, certainly, for personal reasons, that was a disease that um, kind of rang close to my heart. But I wasn't a driven postdoc, right? So, you know, from a faculty point of view, I was probably their worst nightmare because <laughs> I, I really didn't care how many publications I got or didn't get. Um, and I wasn't going to be there on nights and weekends. Yeah. Um, my, my plan for nights and weekends was to do other stuff that could help me figure that's, out what I wanted to do. That's blasphemy. <laughs> I know. And I, I apologize to every faculty member out there who, um, yes, who has hired one of me along the way. Thank you for your service. Um, but you know, during that time I started exploring options and, and very fortunately, um, UNC had some really great programs at the time I entered to help students explore various opportunities. And, you know, for me, it, you know, that just so happened to be one of the, the aha moment for me. So I went to a panel on intellectual property and there was a patent attorney there and a tech transfer manager. And they were starting to talk about their job, but I think the thing that, that still resonates with me is they got in a friendly argument about who had the better job. Right. So, you know, it started off as, you know, the attorney was like, I make more money than you. And, you know, and then the, the tech transfer manager says, well, I go home at five on Fridays when I don't work on weekends. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it kind of started off being silly, but they really got into what they each loved about their job. And as I listened to them describe this, um, the tech transfer manager really started describing what their role was. And, you know, in short, their role was to really take the valuable research that was being produced within the university and helping to kind of care for it and develop it into a technology that could be applied to the real world, right? That could be used, you know, when, whether that be a piece of software or something to enhance your gaming experience or whether that be, you know, a therapy for cancer, um, that it was their job to, to kind of walk that from the lab to, to the people in the, you know, in the community around them. And that was my light bulb moment, was when I realized this is exactly what I've been wanting to do. I just didn't know what it was called before today. Mm. Um, so I think it was the very next day I marched over to what was then called the Office of Technology Development at UNC and uh, begged for them to let me volunteer. And that was in October of 2007. Um, you know, timing and networking is everything. And so that December, uh, the individual who was mentoring me announced to me that he was leaving for a job in venture capital and that his position would be opening. And March of 08, I joined full time and the rest is history. Um, but, you know, that was, I think it was a long process for me to figure out kind of what I wanted and what that was. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I urge anybody out there who is still maybe not settled on what it is that fits to hang in there. Oh, thank God. It's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know what you're going to be when you grow up, Aaron? No, I'm still figuring out. Oh, yeah. Okay, good, good. You'll reevaluate that periodically through Ooh. your life. <laughs> what a relief. What about, what about you, Angelica? Um, well, 
I'm hoping that I'll be a grown-up. That's <laughs> that's where I'm at. And yeah. in a number of years in the future. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> You'll never feel grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just not more school at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a goal. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned... Um, a pretty wide range of topics that a, a tech transfer officer can cover. Uh, so like right. a software or a cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. So how wide is your purview? Mm-hmm. And when you encounter things that are outside of that, how much do you dig in to the, to the, to the, uh, the literature and how much do you outsource to someone who might be a better expert? Mm-hmm. So every office is going to be structured somewhat differently. I mean, there are common themes, but uh, certainly no entity is the same. But I would say, you know, I'm going to speak for the the average, right? Sure. And most offices are divided up um, in a way that's similar to ours and that our portfolios of technologies are split based upon our area of technical expertise, right? Makes sense. So obviously, um, you know, someone who has more of an engineering background would probably be more involved in medical devices, most likely. Obviously, we want a chemist in-house to deal with our chemistry department because... I'm of no use to them, um, whereas I am largely, and I, I'm probably the anomaly for my office and that I have the most diverse portfolio, um, but for me, mostly I'm working on life science medically, you know, medical applications. You know, I would say that, you know, I'm not spending a huge amount of time, and you guys can can secretly or out loud give your sigh of relief. Um, I'm not spending much time digging through manuscripts, if that makes you feel better, Um I, I, I spend a lot of time reading abstracts and conclusions, perhaps. Um, but, you know, where I think the PhD is invaluable is just in the skill set to think through technologies and to just know the lingo to mm. get to, you know, get into the details with folks. So I think, you know, the best textbook in the world for me are the scientists that I'm working with, mm. right? I mean, they're the experts on their research. And I can read a general paper or a general description of what they're working on. And just from my background, and, and you'll have this whether you believe it yet or not, to have a really nice framework for what they're bringing to the table so that you can ask intelligent questions and you can theorize and hypothesize with your scientists and your inventors. But one of my favorite parts of the job is just sitting down with the scientists, whether that be faculty, students, postdocs, whoever it is, and just talking about what they're doing and what the research is and mm-hmm. what their struggles have been or things that, that, you know, where they see it going versus, you know, maybe ideas that I have that are not within their, their focus, maybe they haven't thought about before. You know, have, have you thought about applying this in this area? Or have you met Dr. Such and Such across campus yeah. who would be a perfect collaborator for you? So, you know, those are a lot of the um, fun interactions that I get to have on the front end when we're assessing, initially assessing technologies. Um, but we're also a cradle-to-grave office, which means that once a technology is assigned to me, I'm responsible for everything that touches it from beginning to end. So, you know, that's the initial assessment of whether it's patentable, whether there's commercial viability, um, but also patent prosecution, marketing, uh, license drafting, negotiation, for forming a startup around it, if we're managing our licensee relationship. Wow. Um, all of those things are within my job description. And so, you know, I, I commonly say that my favorite thing and my least favorite thing about my job are exactly the same thing. And <laughs> that's that I get to do so many cool things. But that at the end of the day, I have so many things on my plate mm. that it can get overwhelming at times. Um, but, but there's never a dull moment in tech transfer. 
So uh, you, you mentioned the, this array of um, clients that you deal with, students, postdocs, faculty. Uh, what, what are the biggest mistakes that you see them making that makes your job a little more difficult? That they come talk to me too late. Hmm. Or they feel that they have to go through some formal administrative process to reach out to us. Hmm. So, you know, I, I guess I plead with anybody out there who's in science that if you have either a goal of developing something that has commercial potential or you have an inkling of thought that what you're working on may have real commercial relevance, just reach out to your tech transfer office. It's okay for it to be too early. We'd much rather talk to you too early than too late. Mm. And I think I can speak for 99.9% of us and that we just love talking to you guys. <laughs> so call us, email us. We love to come sit down and chat. You don't, you know, I, I think I like to think of us as the very approachable office uh, or arm of administration. Mm. Right. And that, you know, it it's part of our job to come out and meet you and figure out who you are and what you're after and what you're working on. Um, so, so yeah, so, if, you know, whether that be at UNC or Wake Forest or wherever, mm. just just pick up the phone and yeah. call your tech transfer office and have that conversation when those thoughts cross your mind. Or maybe you're even thinking about, you know, maybe I want to form a startup company. Maybe that's my path, right? Maybe mm. I'm going to go out and found a company for my research. Uh, I find that students are often the best drivers for startups because they generally are at points in their lives that they have the most flexibility mm. and that they can be, they can take the most risk. Mm. Um, you know, old folks like myself have families and <laughs> house payments and all those other things. And, you know, t going out with a startup might not feel so comfortable, yeah. but if you're a freshly minted PhD, well, perhaps now is your time to live on the edge. Right. And well, yeah, you kind of inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to do this? Are we going to have a startup company? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> this escalated. I know what we're doing when we grow up now. <laughs> so uh, I guess just for uh, those of us who don't really understand the process very well or maybe you don't have a gauge of when it would be an appropriate time is I, I mean uh, what I guess what kinds of research uh, can be patented or, or would go through your, your office and then how do you know when you're at the right stage of the project uh, to collaborate or to you know, go in and discuss moving forward I think that's a very open-ended question as far as what could be patented. Um, if you can imagine it, <laughs> it's probably patentable. Um, you know, certainly there have been some changes in the patent law over the last decade that have really impacted our ability to patent things like certain diagnostics or, you know, certain business methods or software. But that's what your tech transfer office is for, is to advise you on mm. what is and is not patentable. So for us, and once again, part of what I love about the job is that the kinds of projects I see are all over the map. And so I, sp I spend a lot of my time working in the gene therapy space, which for me is just highly rewarding because in a lot of these indications, we're dealing with small children who previously had absolutely no hope, um, you know, and now potentially could have access to a cure. Right. And then that's yeah. that's game changing. Right. It, yeah. Was it, uh, recently the first approved gene therapy for, a, I think, an eye condition yeah. went on the market. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're seeing we're seeing that take off yeah. at just tremendous rates. And, you know, we all know that there's still hurdles to overcome. But certainly there's so many exciting things. And so whether that be whether it be a therapeutic, whether it be um, a new type of manufacturer or 
you know, a new process or maybe what you have is maybe not something that's patentable, but something that if you start a company and you kind of build a name for yourself in that space that you could really have some leverage. Um, you know, UNC is largely a um, medically oriented campus just because we don't have an engineering school per se. But, you know, that being said, you know, you could see anything, whether that be data security or gaming software or um, so across the board. And I guess to your point about when to talk to us. So once you once you publish or once you publicly disclose your invention in most countries around the world, you immediately lose the right to patent it. In the U.S., you have a one year grace period. So kind of back to my I'd rather talk to you sooner than later. Uh, the point that you even start to think, is this something? Just call us. And and certainly if you're drafting a manuscript, you know, call us at that point so that we can go over it with you before it ends up hmm. publishing. Is uh, poster presentations or national presentations or conference presentations, are those considered disclosures? They are. Okay. They are. So, and one thing that I've had people not think about is just their dissertations, right? So when you graduate, uh, your dissertation gets published. And I've had faculty and students alike think, oh, well, that, but that, that isn't published. And then I go online and pull it off the catalog system. And it's like, well, actually it is. Um, so, you know, there is a difference between a disclosure and an enabling disclosure. So there are situations in which you can talk about your work but not discuss details that are critical to your inventive step. Mm. And so that's another area where we can advise you on what you can and can't talk about prior to patent applications. Um, but that being said, I think to kind of relay fear of faculty and students alike, you know, our job is always secondary to our academic mission to do research and to publish. So we're never going to tell you, you know, sit on your publication mm -hmm. so that we can commercialize that. You're never going to hear that leave my mouth. Okay. And, yeah. But we'll work around the constraints of your timeline if it's something that has potential. So um, this is kind of a question more about is why you're choosing your job um, away from, I guess, science and uh, your passion. But um, I guess we all have, we're all hoping, at least as a gra as graduate students, to have a life one day. Um, and so I'm just <laughs> curious as to um, if you feel like this uh, career is um, beneficial to you having some sort of work-life balance. So I'd actually say that's a huge factor in, you know, why I'm still in university technology transfer. You know, certainly I was driven to it because of the science and, and the mission, but I'd be lying that if it points along the way, I didn't think to myself, well, maybe I could earn more money if I went to law school or if I went to work in corporate America, mm -hmm. because there certainly are roles similar to mine on the other side, on the corporate side. And, you know, probably once every year, two years, I have that thought of, well, maybe I should Maybe I should go there and cash in, right? But then I talk to my friends who are on that side of the fence, and I step back and think about what that would entail. And, you know, certainly there are always exceptions to every rule. But, you know, for an attorney, um, you're now having to deal with billable hours. And typically, especially as you move up in your career, the demand can get very intense. Hmm. If you're working with industry doing technology scouting or academic uh, academic liaison role or something like that, there's often a lot of travel. And so, you know, I have a five-year-old. Um, I also have a husband who occasionally wants to see me and talk to me, right? And and so this has been a, a great role for me and that it's allowed for me to have a career to be, you know, to really make use of 
the degree I earned here at Wake, but also feel like I have the flexibility to, I can work from home one day or, or I can, you know, work late another day if, you know, my daughter's got something going on or she's got a field trip with school and I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, my husband and I want to take a trip or he wants me to attend something or I just need a mental health day. Um, it's It's been a, a wonderful atmosphere for being able to do what I love and do it at a high level, but still be able to feel like I'm not tied to my desk that that sounds great (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) maybe i have a recruit how many years yeah are you taking any interns (laughs) 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 oh that's that's really awesome that um you're able to find something that you're passionate about and then something that also allows you to have like fulfill your other needs outside of um your scientific interest as well did you, so you you don't travel, I'm assuming, uh, from your last statement, very much with your job? So I usually will take a couple of trips a year. Um, so coming up in this October, I'll be presenting at the National Licensing Executive Society meeting. Um, and then in May, we often go uh, to a meeting called BIO, which is a, a large partnering meeting where we go and have um, numerous meetings with industry where we discuss potential collaborations or licenses and and that gives us a forum to do uh, a tremendous amount of meetings in a short period of time to really move things forward but that you know generally that's a week or two of the year Um, certainly there are other roles within the university offices that are more looking at networking and engaging and and they will travel more but generally technology transfer managers are not going to spend a huge amount of time on the road so what um what skills do you think uh, best suit your job? Frankly, I think it comes down to to a couple things. One, I think the first is your ability to convey science in a non-scientific way, if that makes sense. And that, you know, when people come and work with me initially, one of my telltale signs is if I say, you know, tell them, go summarize what this technology is. And half of them will bring you back a scientific manuscript. Mm. And that's not what we're after. And then the other half will bring back a really nice real-world summary of what we have and why they should care. Right? And I always tell them that you know, the audience for these kind of things is going to be very broad. right? So you may have the high-level PhD scientist in large pharma, or you may have a business decision maker whose last biology class was in high school. Mm. And they both need to understand what it is and why they should spend their time thinking about it. And so the ability to just clearly and concisely communicate science to both scientists and non-scientists alike is critical. Uh, I think the second really revolves around soft skills. We really want people who can communicate clearly and who can manage conflict in a calm manner and people who aren't looking to be in the limelight, right? So... You know, I find that the individuals who really like the spotlight on them are not particularly good in this job because we spend a lot of time and effort getting things to the finish line. And if they go well, we're going to turn around and put the spotlight on our scientist. Mm -hmm. But if they go badly, then we're the ones who take the fall for it. So I think that the individual who are going to be in this career have to be very self-motivated and self-fulfilled and internally driven. Mm. Um, you know, there's not going to be a lot of, a lot of, oh my goodness, that was, that was so amazing what you did. Right. That, that's not going to happen right. that much. Um, 
largely you're going to have to get your own self fulfillment. So I, you know, I think that, you know, people who have either ego stroked or that need to be in charge in the room, um, don't generally fare that well. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. What, what sorts of conflicts do you encounter? Like, <laughs> what what sort of mean? conflicts do I not encounter? <laughs> so, <laughs> So, you know, one of one of our jobs is occasionally to tell people that their baby is ugly, right? <laughs> and that, you know, and that's always hard to say. It's right? unrelated to their science. <laughs> you just tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you certainly have faculty um, who publish that nature paper and they think that they're just the king of the world. Mm-hmm. But there's no commercial application for their science. They might not understand that. Or they might not understand that... Well, not today, but that doesn't mean not ever. It just means you've got to do X, Y, and Z. Certainly, there's always tension between the different demands that we have. So I'm an employee of the institution, and you know I work for a public institution. So my client is the university and citizens of North Carolina. Right. Part of my job is to certainly have a good relationship with faculty and the departments. But at the end of the day, my client is the technology, right? Because... Mm-hmm. I haven't served anybody well if I didn't fully invest in moving that technology to its full potential. So there's not always alignment, per se, at least initially, in what direction to go or where to take things. And then when it comes with companies, you know, frankly, negotiating is is just a formal word for conflict resolution, right? So managing conflict is a huge part of my job. Um, but it's interesting. I, I made the comment to my husband. Uh, it's actually been a couple weeks ago. I said, "Well, I think my job has changed me." And I said, "You know, I just people get upset or get riled up. It just kind of rolls off my back." Yeah, yeah. And he looked at me and he said, "It hasn't changed you." He's like, "You've just acquired skills to manage it." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that's a very adult and professional way of putting it." <laughs> so, so now instead of saying my job's changed me, I say I have acquired skills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bitter now, but it's because I've acquired skills through my PhD. That, that anger can serve you later in life. I'm just practical. Um, so do you have any advice for I guess, anyone who's, you know, they're in their PhD now and um, like how can they, are there opportunities they can pursue? Are there internships or um, things that you wish you could have maybe done while you were doing your PhD that they can now go and do to prepare for um, this type of job. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was awake, I didn't even know that the tech transfer office existed. Um, So just the fact that if you know it's there, you have a leg up on where I was when I was in your shoes. Certainly for, there's different, many different paths to getting into tech transfer, IP law. But if someone really wants to go straight from the bench to tech transfer, it's really critical that they get some kind of experience, right? It doesn't have to be in depth or it doesn't have to be multiple years, but just some form of internship, fellowship, some kind of exposure is is really critical. So most institutions, um, I think at this point, have some kind of internship program for their their students. Uh, We certainly have one at UNC, and I know that, that the Wake Forest Innovations Group takes internships or takes interns as well. And so there are other institutions that have paid full-time internships. Our office, in addition to internships, um, keeps a couple of what we refer to as fellows on staff, and it's actually their postdoctoral positions within our office. So I think that also kind of speaks to how things have progressed over the years, that you can postdoc and tech transfer, right? That's To me, that would have been magic to my ears many years ago. <laughs> 
And then the NIH also has a tech transfer fellowship. And so I had a prior intern take part in that program and then get hired on full time. So there are a number of resources. There's also a couple of uh, organizations that are very important for anyone who's looking to get into this. So one is Autumn, A-U-T-M, which stands for Association of University Technology Managers. And so it is a great um, place to go for resources, for training, and also for career, for job postings and, and other things of the like, and they have training modules, et cetera. And then there's another group called the Licensing Executive Society, and that's more of a mix of university and industry licensing professionals. Um, that's also another really good resource that also has its own job board. So those are two places that I highly suggest people go and poke around if they're thinking about getting into the space. So I guess also in pursuing this field of work, it helps to understand the nuances. And one of the, one of the differentiating factors between people in the field could be a, an agent versus an attorney. What are the differences there? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, if you're looking to get into university tech transfer, um, being an agent or attorney is certainly not a requirement. Um, there certainly are a fair number of us, but that is by no means, I think, the rule. I think there are less of, there are more people who are not than, than are. However, <clears throat> there are a few distinctions between being a patent agent and being a patent attorney. So, you know, first of all, I think that the, the main one, which was very critical to me, was that being a patent agent does not require going to law school, right? It's a big... Which uh, is, yeah, it's a, it's a huge differentiation. So, yeah, so I managed to slice off a few years of education there with that decision. And that that really is the key differentiator between the two. They both have to sit for the patent bar, hmm. um, which is... I'll be honest, I love IP and I love my job, but the material for the patent bar is um, somewhat dry and painful to get through. So you must be at least somewhat motivated to slug through that exam. Now, as far as how you can practice, um, an agent can prosecute before the, the patent office. They can work in law firms. They can work in house at, at companies. They can work in tech transfer, but they can never be a partner in a law firm. Right. So you're somehow going to be limited to, to what you can do in that regard. Um, patent agents are also not allowed to prosecute trademarks and they cannot participate in litigation or providing any kind of legal advice in that regard. So they couldn't do company formation documents and that kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, I do think that becoming a patent agent can be a good direction if someone's really interested in working in the IP space, but really does not want to go to law school or, you know, is really contemplating whether or not they want to return to school to, go to get a law degree. So certainly I have met a number of people have, who have been patent agents who have then gone back and acquired their GD, JD. Um, so that's certainly another path as well. Uh, do you know anyone who's just taken the bar after and just kind of skipped law school? Does that is that an option? I guess you think, or is that more kind of, you would have to study a lot on your own time, but I mean, maybe the exposure would be beneficial for that. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of firms will hire individuals into the firm before they sit for the patent bar. So they'll hire them. There's a number of, of names for it, but technical specialists or technical advisors, what they'll be termed. And then you'll study for the bar while you're working at the firm. So that's not uncommon. Or in theory, if you're, if you're very motivated, you could just study for the bar on your own and then start applying for jobs as a patent agent. Like I think many people, I did a self-study course um, to just prepare for the bar. Um, as far as preparation times, people generally vary, but usually it's two to three months or more. Um, I think I spent about six months preparing just because 
I didn't spend a ton of time on it per week. So it was largely kind of Saturday mornings and that kind of thing. Um, but there's no reason that if you're a grad student and this is something you want to do, that you can't go purchase a self-study course and take the exam. I think the nice thing about doing it while I was employed is that I you know, negotiated to have my employer pay for the course and the test, which um, ends up being several thousand dollars. But if you, know, you have access and you can afford it and do it on your own, you most certainly can. Well, we would like to thank our guest today, Dr. Parsons, again, or sorry, Kelly, um, <laughs> uh, for your time and, and your, uh, your uh, insight and your advice and, and everything else. It's well, been great. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I'm just so excited to see grad students being able and getting in the resources to think about what it is they might actually want to do a little earlier in the process than when I was going through school. <laughs> we disguise this as helping others, but we're really just trying to figure <laughs> things out for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um so yes you can find us at um on twitter and instagram at five to life pod um, email us if you have any questions or suggestions or feedback at five to life pod at gmail.com or look us up on five to life pod.com our website all of these are spelled with the number five not the word. Um, you can also leave voicemails for us and we will play your messages on our podcast. So call us at 336-701-2445. Cheers, y'all.